Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Dear friends of Christ, we know the story in the Father's famous plea, I believe, help my unbelief. It's an important piece of the narrative. It's a foundation stone of our life in Christ. It's one of the controlling categories in Mark's recounting, and we're going to talk about it later. But I would suggest that, the very, that it's not the heart of the story. That, I believe, is two verses earlier. And again, it's on the Father's lips. If you can do anything, help us. Have compassion on us. If you can do anything, it's a question of authority. Do you have the power? And the Father has his doubts. Not to read too much into the squabbling with the scribes immediately that our text opens with, but the scribes no doubt were laying it on pretty thick. And the nine? Well, three chapters earlier we read, So they, the disciples, went out and proclaimed that people should repent, and they cast out many demons, and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. But here, today, it's this silent demon that's in charge. He may be deaf and mute, but his actions betray his intent. He means to destroy the child. And the case is appalling. Many times he's thrown him into the fire and into the water to destroy him. Whatever the nine had done, whether they prayed over him, whether they anointed whatever they had done, it had made no change. Was the teacher any more capable, any more powerful? Did he have authority? Father had his doubts. But it is a bigger question than one sick boy half a world away and two millennia different, distant. Does Jesus, does God have the authority to make a difference? It's a question that echoes down through the decades. Among many mainstream denominations of our day, it's a crippling issue. Reason cannot abide the miraculous, therefore, the miraculous is dismissed out of hand. Medical science insists this is a case, simple case of epilepsy. In such churches and in such confessions, they attempt to hang on to the gospel as the only thing that really matters. But what gospel is left? The gospel itself is grounded on a string of miracles. The virgin birth, the proofs of Christ's deity and the miracles and signs that he did, the wonders that accompanied his bloody sacrificial death, Darkness from noon to three. An earthquake that split open graves and dead people walked back through the streets of Jerusalem. And the veil torn in two. And to cap it all, the resurrection. What gospel is left if the miraculous is denied? A more faithful reading of the inspired of the God-breathed word reveals his authority. Just one example that we don't often revisit. It's the early days of the conquest of Cana. And the men of Gibeon have made peace with Joshua with use of a little guile along the way. And now the report of this peace has reached the ears of Adonai Zedek, the king of Jerusalem, and he's upset. He sends envoys to four other Amorite kings, come up and fight with me, fight against Gibeon. And they came and five armies stand outside of Gibeon, who sends an urgent message to his ally, to Joshua. Picking up the story, Joshua chapter 10, verse 9. So Joshua came upon them suddenly, 
having marched up all night from Gilgal. And the Lord threw them into a panic before Israel, who struck them a great blow at Gibeon. And as they fled before Israel, the Lord, Yahweh, threw large stones at, from heaven on them, as far as Zadok, and they died. There were more who died because of the hailstones than the sons of Israel killed with the sword. Close quote. Now, reasonable commentators approach this difficult text by pointing out that there was a volcanic eruption in the island of Santorini, someplace around 1400 BC, which is kind of the right time zone. And after all, God doesn't throw stones, they reason. Well, yes, he did. And there's more. Continuing on. At that time, Joshua spoke to the Lord in the day when the Lord gave the Amorites over to the sons of Israel. And he said in the sights of Israel, Son, stand still in Gibeon, and moon in the valley of Ayan. And the sun stood still, and the moon stopped until the nation took vengeance on their enemies. Is it not written in the book of Jashar? The sun stopped in the midst of heaven and did not hurry to set for about a whole day. There has been no day like it before or since when the Lord heeded the voice of a man. For the Lord fought for Israel. The cosmological miracle is amazing. Yet it pales before the greatest miracle. The death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. God saved Gibeon and Israel in the days of Joshua. God the Son atoned for the sin of every sinner who ever lived on earth there at Calvary. He stands on the mountain in Galilee and declares, All authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. Still, the Father cries, Help us. Have compassion on us. It is one thing to recognize the authority of God and of his Son, it is another to receive the blessing of that authority. So Jesus commanded the unclean spirit, You mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. Crying out, he convulsed the boy and he became as dead. But Jesus crossed the line. He reaches out, grabs him by the hand and picks him up and restores him to the Father. It's really a great story. It's a clear demonstration of Jesus' power but the question remains, will he help me? Will he help me in the dark night of my guilt, when my heart of heart recoils at my face in the mirror of the law, drowning not in self-pity, but the raw honesty that only I, that only you can know? That is the question. That is the plea that I must answer for you today. Recall first that I stand here on the authority of the resurrected Jesus. The Jesus who now lives and reigns from heaven, in his name and in his stead I speak. And so it is his authoritative word I bring to you this morning. I forgive you. That's it. His word, not mine. You were given that promise in baptism. You receive it again from our Lord at this altar this morning. Here and now you hear his authority, my body and my blood, given and shed for you. That means that your weakness, your troubles, your sorrows only have a short season to live. They do not reign. Christ does. The Lord and King of all, 
And when he returns, he will transform our fleshly bodies to be like his glorious resurrected body. This Jesus is Lord, and he is your Lord. This, this is the foundational truth of this text, the distributed authority of God in his Son. The second foundation stone is closely related. It's where we started. I believe. Help my unbelief. There is some confusion here, particularly if you're reading along in your NIV, which translates, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. There's no overcoming in the original text. It's not the father's faith that must be built up so that the son may be healed. At worst, that smacks of worse righteousness. At best, it seeks to put a demands on the spirit. The cracks, the flaws, the shortcomings of our faith are hardly any impediment to Jesus. Far from it. Jesus heals precisely because we cannot. He heals despite our inadequacies. Our confession of our sin is answered by his absolution. Our lack of merit is covered by his grace. Hence, Jesus declares, all things are possible for the one who believes, which puts the emphasis back where it should be, on the unlimited power of God in whom faith is placed. Belief and unbelief are mixed up in all of us. And perhaps Mark would encourage us to realize that, that this common condition was no obstacle to the Father's request, hence neither to our request before God's throne. But it does highlight this one fact. Faith always has an object. Faith in faith does not save. Only faith in Christ. Faith in the gifts won on the cross and given in baptism. When Michael Horton was expecting the birth and pending birth of his triplets, he commented, I will never forget the moment the doctor looked at me and announced, they're all alive. It was not a foregone conclusion, at least for one of them. Until that report, my wife and I were in suspense. All the wishful thinking, even from certified medical professionals, could not alleviate that suspense. It could not turn possibility into actuality. I could believe all I wanted to in a successful delivery, but I had no promise to rely on, either from God or the doctors. And the intensity of my feelings had nothing, absolutely nothing to do with the state of affairs. My confidence, my confidence developed entirely on the words the doctor uttered. They're all alive. Similarly, the gospel is news because it reports a completed act. It is finished. He is risen. Faith does not make something true, but it embraces the truth. I believe, and even my unbelief cannot overcome the authority of God in Christ Jesus, his Son. The third foundation stone in this text is really part of the fabric of the narrative, and it's explicit at the end, and that's prayer. It's the Father's plea. Help us. Have compassion on us. It's not a long or elaborate prayer. It's a cry from the heart. Faltering, but not forgotten. Indeed, the limits of our faith is often a raw and open wound. But it is answered, and the Son is restored. And the prayer is explicit in Jesus' explanation of the miracle. This kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. The inability of the nine to cast out the demon, presumably for a lack of prayer, stands in marked contrast to the story of Joshua at Gibeon. 
Arstead comments, the uniqueness of the day was because the Lord not only made the sun stand still, he also performed this astounding act in response to the prayers of a mere man, because the Lord was fighting for his people. Close quote. Certainly that should motivate us to be bold in prayer. We are under the care of him who made and rules the hosts of heaven and earth. In the upper room, Jesus said, Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask in the Father's name, he will give to you. Until now, you've not asked anything in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. And Paul writes to the Romans, For we did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but we have received the spirit of adoption as sons, to whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Father, in our text, showed us these three foundational stones of life in Christ. Jesus' authority, faith in him, and prayer. Together they are our encouragement to work in the kingdom, the authority of God exercised through us, faith that strengthens and emboldens our hands to be tasks given to us, and prayer that gives voice to our life in Christ. We have every confidence because Jesus has exercised his authority to save us. Amen. Now may the peace which surpasses all understanding guard your hearts and minds through faith in Christ Jesus to life everlasting. Amen.